Well, hello there and welcome back to the Master Your Voice podcast, a podcast for singers about singing. I'm your host, vocal pedagogue and singer, Heidi Voss. Today on the podcast, we have a really interesting conversation with Matt Workman. Matt is the founding director of National Concerts, and we dig deep talking about choral music, the future of choral music, and the impacts of COVID on that art form. It's a fascinating, in-depth conversation, and I'm so excited to bring it to you all. In addition to the interview, I have a nice Q&A question from my Master Your Voice Facebook group asking about programming, how to program and create a dynamic recital. So I tackle that in the Q&A section today in the show. Now, for any of you guys who are interested in getting more involved in the Master Your Voice Facebook group, find us online. So you can find us on Facebook, Master Your Voice, all one word, or you can find me on my website at www.vossvoice.com. And my name is Voss, B as in Victor, A, S as in Sam, S as in Sam, Voss Voice. So Heidi Voss, feel free to find me on social media or on my website. And I'm happy to answer any of your questions. If you have a Q&A question, you want to find that out, something about your singing or get some good advice, feel free to pop into the group, join us, post a self-tape, and get involved. We'd love to hear you, and we love to support our singers on the Master Your Voice Facebook group. Matt Workman, National Concert. Thank you so much for joining me on the Master Your Voice yeah. podcast. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> I've always I said I have a face for podcasts. You have, you have the head for podcasts. Oh, for good. those of you who don't know, Matt Workman has no hair <laughs> on his head. We are, right. we are rocking the post-COVID beard and mustache, though. True. Pretty good look. It's a solid look. Thanks. You didn't have any problem finding people to cut your hair during... No, <laughs> that was the easy upkeep. Uh, but I will say I, I am wearing the pandemic uh, outfit today. Uh, I have the sweatpants on and uh, and a 
collared shirt. Fair enough. I'm glad you described that because we are not releasing videos, so no one will see that. You, you could have told them you were in a tuxedo and right. fully believe you. Just being honest. Just being honest is fair. So, and I'm going to expect nothing less. So today we're talking mostly, I brought Matt on because obviously everything we talk about in the Master Your Voice podcast has to do with singing. And I wanted to get his perspective, particularly on the world of choral music and the work that he's been doing lately and the work that he's done thus far. Matt has an incredible career in choral music and presenting and publishing. So he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I hope that blew up your ego just a little bit before I ask you my first question. So I want you to tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, my ego will come back down to earth after I listen to this uh, podcast. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, I started national concerts a few years ago and my this, I was in music publishing at the time uh, after a um, about 12, 13 years in concert production. I, I just decided, I, you know, I, this is something I wanted to do. I was passionate about providing opportunities like this for, uh, for singers of all ages. Uh, it was something I uh, had done as a student, and uh, I could easily say that it shaped, my, shaped who I am, my passion, my... Uh, a little bit of my direction in life, and um, and it's something that um, that I'm just enjoy doing, and uh, love that I can uh, provide this. And, and, and I'm very mission mi mission minded in that way. So um, that's uh, yeah. So I started national concerts to offer these performance opportunities at Carnegie Hall primarily, other major venues around the country uh, as we expand, and to collaborate with these outstanding uh, artists around the country, uh, conductors, composers, uh, and, uh, and just dream up something beautiful um, with uh, thematic narratives and beautiful projection design that synchronizes with the music, um, dance, uh, special lighting, um, staging, um, just letting the uh, the artistic directors run with it, whatever they'd like to to dream up. So I think you answered a little bit of my next question, which which is really how does national concerts distinguish itself from the, the other presenters that are in this in this world so there are several people who are several companies and organizations that are doing creating opportunities for touring choirs for creating performances that you can get involved in and that you can be presented in what does national concerts do that's different than let's say your manhattan concert productions your heritage music festivals well, yes, everything I just said, um, our, the experience is different. And that's why I use that word so much is the experience and, and collaboration. Uh, everyone's included in, in the final production of that uh, experience. I, I mean, I, I can't speak uh, to the finer details of, of other organizations, but um, but I, I'll say that from the moment that we reach out to a director or an organization or an ensemble, uh, we consider uh, what 
how we present ourselves and how we represent the experience that we're offering. Um, I want to be sure that uh, they understand uh, what it means to collaborate with national concerts um, and what uh, what the opportunity uh, what the opportunity is. Um, there, yes, there are other companies, they offer the performances and I always encourage people when they're asking about what we offer, what, how can they take their group to perform at Carnegie Hall. Um, I always start with, well, there are a few different ways, a few different companies that offer uh, different performances and I encourage them to reach out and have a conversation with every single one of them, read their materials, uh, see what they say in an email uh, and, and, and you'll get a sense of what they're about. Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're about the experience. We're about, um, the, uh, the musical outcome, the collaboration with, uh, the, uh, conductors and, uh, the world premiere uh, with composers and residents. And the the artists that we commissioned for the projection design, um, where they stay, what they do, how they spend their time while they're in New York City, uh, it's it's all carefully thought through. And I, I, as an endorsement, I will say I have not yet brought a group to national concerts, but having worked with you and collaborated with you in the past with different organizations, I have no doubt that you are curating experiences that are just top notch. You have, you are the premier pro in this, in this field. So I am excited and hope to uh, be able to work with national concerts personally very soon in the future. So I can only imagine what kind of an inspiring event you are, you are offering for singers to get involved with. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about how you got involved in music in general. So I, it's a fun question, a biographical question, I, I would say, because many people have a different path. And to end up where you are this deep in, if I can say, this deep in choral music, because that's, that's mm -hmm. an odd thing to say. but Entrenched. Entrenched <laughs> in choral music. It's, how did that happen? Like, did you grow up singing in choir? Were you in the church choir? Did you do the band? Did you play piano? Like, where does, where does this come from? Yeah, and, and when you ask that question, I think of, I mean, my go-to story is um, when I was, when I played cello in middle school, um, I, I was a very social student, and, uh, for, you know, I, I just loved talking to my neighbor and being disruptive. Uh, <laughs> I was a good student, but I was social, and one day the orchestra director had enough with me and sent me out into the hallway. She came out, Mrs. Gold was her name, and uh, she's, she's passed. Otherwise, I'd love to reach out to her. She said, Matt, if you're going to keep disrupting class, you should join choir. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I did, and I loved it. Um, I ended up, I remember one day the high school came to our middle school and sang in Latin and Italian. And my mind was blown. I said, what? So I, I continued singing into high school. Uh, my high school director, Mark Shepard, uh, pulled me aside and said, Matt, I think you should consider Interlochen this summer. Wow. And so I ended up um, auditioning and being accepted. I attended Interlochen for, uh, let's see, three consecutive summers. 
made some wonderful uh, connections and friends there, staying for Jerry Blackstone each summer. Uh, and he was um, uh, just very motivating. And another, you know, I, I start to think of all the people along the way um, that uh, impacted my or, or influenced my path to, to bring me where I am today. And speaking of Jerry Blackstone, let me just mention that I'm also producing a docu-series called Coral Singing in America. I was going to get uh, to that. You are so jumping in. <laughs> that That's so exciting. Okay. Yes. Keep, keep going. I don't want to, I don't want to. So this is off. part of the, you know, the coral story. Um, it, yeah. Just how we're, we're all intertwined. And I just, and I love, love how small our world is. Yes. You, you, Matt, yeah. I have to second that and third it because your journey, I don't think is too uncommon for a lot of people. I think frequently what happens is, you know, you, you get somewhere involved and there's a mentor and I am so, so passionate about the concept of mentoring young singers because there's always someone in your path, whether it's your cello teacher, <laughs> your middle school band teacher, or that choir director that said, maybe you should look at Interlochen, which I'm sure as a kid, did you even know what Interlochen was? Coincidentally, I did because I grew up uh, going to a nearby city. It was our farm. We had a farm in the family in Mesick, Michigan. And it was literally on the same road as Interlochen, uh, the Interlochen Academy. Um, and so I remember at a young age, my parents saying, maybe someday um, you, you might be here. You might attend. And that wow. was so that. So they were prophetic. Me, yes, they put it out there. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, However, going into college, they, they were not completely supportive of me going into music. So um, I went into business. I was a music minor, and I've just continu continued singing my whole life. Now, where, uh, did you from, go, where did you go to college? Where did you go to undergrad? Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Nice. And uh, that, in Kalamazoo, was, um, it was a wonderful city to foster a college student. Um, and yeah, I went straight through grad school, uh, received my MBA, and um, but during each summer, I came out to New York City for an internship, and that's how I fell in love with New York. Yeah. And so I knew I would always be here, just a matter of what I would do, and here I am. And you've done what I talk to students about all the time. You figured out a way to marry your passion and your skill and actually be able to live in the world that you love and hopefully support yourself, <laughs> which, which I'm always talking to students about. Yes, uh, I almost left. I almost turned around after 9-11. Um, I moved out here in summer of 2001 without a concern, without a care. I knew I would find something. Um, and my friend that I lived with temporarily uh, gave me, which is pretty much my mantra now, never limit yourself. And that's what I always share to, to students, never limit yourself. And, you know, that kind of speaks to always being open to opportunity, Yeah. always being open to it. And, uh, and then 9-11 happened um, I, and getting a job was near impossible. I was down to my last swipe on my Metro card for a callback interview down in the uh, financial district. Yeah. And I got that job. And that job I was? was ready. Were you <laughs> it was in pharmaceutical IT. Oh, <laughs> Sorry? 
It's a, it yeah. wasn't a music job at that point. No, I was no, I was not working in music yet. I was, I was honing my IT skills. My um, and my, I was also a, a training manager for for the um, what they referred to back then as the Kens and Barbies of the pharmaceutical sales world. I know exactly those people. I have a brother-in-law. <laughs> but you know, I. I brought everything with me along the way. And I learned so much from that. And I learned so much from the time I spent in the publish, publishing uh, world with Fred Bach Music, yes. uh, working for Steve Bach out in California. And they, of course, have Hinshaw and Gentry and National, and uh, they have a number of uh, labels. Um, Wish, now National Concerts, has its own series with Hinshaw, which I'm very proud of. Wonderful. And that's another thing that's really near and dear to my heart. Another reason why I wanted to reach out to you, because it seems that you're really committed to supporting new works, young composers or new composers, whether or not young, (laughs) but um, new composers and commissioning. We'll just say living. (laughs) Living composers is fair, right? (laughs) Um, And for personal reasons, obviously, but you know, I I have a personal connection to really wanting to foster young composers and and new works and making sure that this feels like a vibrant living art form. Yes. So I think that's one of the interesting things about national concerts is that you are definitely committed to new works. Am I getting Absolutely. that right? 100%. It, it's, uh, it, it's part of our mission. It's what, uh, it's one of the things that, you know, I, I was trying to verbalize earlier that uh, sets us, apart from others. Um, I believe in that deeply. You know, the first year when we started, I reached out to uh, composers that are friends. Um, and and I, I asked them for a little bit of a favor, you know, not being able to afford what they normally would uh, receive for a commission. And I got to tell you, they were all uh, very willing to contribute and support national concerts uh, as we got on our feet and that's going to come back to them and I so I, I value that so much uh, Jocelyn Hagen, Dale Trumbor, Stacy Gibbs, uh, Richard Burchard, um, uh, gosh I, you know there's and there's others. You know, well and the beauty and, that you were saying earlier is it is it's such a small community you know you throw a right. name or two out and we know you know you'll know oh like some of your conductors too. Amazing, amazing to work with. We worked with Tesfa a few years ago and he's incredible. And seeing him, like seeing people like that on your series, you go, oh, this is going to be quality. And it's, Absolutely. you're really, you're really in the community and right. um, also bringing along new people within the community and elevating Absolutely. new voices and having fresh ideas and things in the, and introducing new elements to the canon, I think is really exciting in terms of the legacy of what national concerts can do. Yeah. Uh, Andrea Ramsey, I absolutely oh, yeah. cannot forget her name. We How actually, dare you? <laughs> no, we're just coming off a, a major performance of her suffrage cantata at Carnegie Hall that happened this past Saturday, um, and uh, I'm I'm still I'm still buzzing from it to be honest with you, and receiving yeah. some uh, terrific uh, feedback and testimonials from directors and and students that I, it's it's uh, you know makes me emotional. It's. So these opportunities are just incredible because a lot of times these these performances are 
um, the, or these trips or these, these experiences for young singers don't have that element of working with a living composer. And there is nothing like having that person standing in the room and saying, you know, I loved this, but really I was thinking that. Right. It's just the additional element of collaboration when you have a living composer working with you is something that is well beyond what most people get to experience in choral music and particularly in classical music. Right. I mean, you think about conductors that are rock stars out there. When you attend a ACA national and you you look across the room and you 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 see you see Andre Thomas, you see Anton Arms, you yeah. you know, you you see Edith Copley, and you're like, and you turn into a little fan, right? And there's yeah. so many others, uh, yeah, I, but it's the same with composers. We yeah. we only you know many only know them, especially students just starting off, only know them by their name, to look on a program. Oh, it has a, oh, there's a Birchard piece on this program. Okay, oh, I, I kind of know what to expect. Oh, a Sarah Cortell, wonderful. Um, and, you know, to have Melissa Dunphy here in person for the directors whom some are even singing in our chorus, but others just sitting in the back and taking it all in, it's like a, a, a professional workshop for them. Uh, but, and then suddenly the, you know, Melissa Dunphy walks in the room and, and uh, addresses the chorus and says, you know, speaks from the heart what they were feeling or thinking when they wrote this piece. Or has a fun quip that, oh, when I came up with that note, I was actually brushing my teeth with a uh, what, electric toothbrush and I didn't know that buzz. And so, and I just started uh, humming that and thought, hmm. Maybe we should get a tuning fork to, to do something like that. Oh, yeah. so, so all these yeah, No, there's it's moments of magic like that, that you just don't get trying. I mean, as someone also who's coming from academic music and classical music, and I do a lot of early music and trying to, trying to recreate, you know, piece together what the composer was thinking to the mm. best of your ability. I mean, you're all only educated guessing, right? But when right. you have that person in the room, and then the idea that possibly this piece that I'm singing is going to be one of those that will be something somebody's going to sing in 200 years, and that's one of the beautiful thing about things about classical and choral music is that there is an enduring power to it, and so there's a feeling that you might be, you just might be, singing something that's going to have that kind of staying power. Mm. You know, you might be the choir that was the choir that first sang Mozart's Requiem. Right. There's something to that that's really special. So I think it's wonderful that you're incorporating this and um, encouraging new works and encouraging not just new works, but also incorporating digital media, new media. So that way it feels a little bit more contemporary and relevant to newer audiences, which is not to say that the canon is not incredible. I'm a huge fan, if you know anything about my work, of the classical canon. I think we stand on the shoulders of giants. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be, you know, getting up on our tiptoes and doing the best we can be to the next gen to be the next generation of giants. Exactly, exactly. And and we have some of those classical gems programmed uh, next season. I mean, uh, you know, I some of my favorite experiences were singing major works. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the, the Psalm twenty three of of Rudder's uh, Requiem. I mean, oh. Amazing. Make, makes me wish I was a tenor again. <laughs> Are you not a tenor anymore? Have you, I'm have a, you I'm grown a, out of tenorship? I'm a dime a dozen baritone. Shut up. <laughs> 
I'm a tenor at karaoke. I'll tell you I that. Tenor. I am a dime a dozen <laughs> soprano, so you and me both. <laughs> but nevertheless, I want to talk a little bit more actually about your thinking in terms of what happened through the COVID pandemic to mm. choral music, how it impacted national concerts specifically, but also what you think it did for choral music. I know this is kind of a gigantic question. Um, and what you think we learned through the process? Well, I spoke with a lot of people on Zoom during, th throughout that process and that time, uh, I think through 2020, going into 2021, um, we were able to have a concert in 2020 and that meant the world to me and national concerts. Um, that was February 16th, and then everything was shut down. I think uh, I think we were the last concert at Carnegie Hall. Wow. Uh, and it was a slow-moving train crash that we all saw happening, at least here in New York City. Um, and you were, with without being punny, New York City felt like in this country ground zero again for COVID. Right. It, it just, it spread so quickly here. Uh, after it ha took place in the Northwest. And uh, and we were hit the worst. Um, and then we responded, and, and New Yorkers, like post 9-11, just were very impressive. I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Michigan, so I still don't consider myself a, a New Yorker, even though I've been here 20 something years. But um, I, I just was so impressed in how we responded. Um, I think back to where I was, mentally, uh, you know, everything, the whole season canceled. So navigating that took a few months um, to process all of the refunds and we refunded everyone. Which congratulations, because not every organization had the ability to do that. I won't comment on that, but I'll say that we fully and immediately refunded everyone and I kept my staff on as long as I could. Uh, I think it was until June when we finally said, let's hit pause. And that was a very emotional time. It was me and my cat in my little studio. <laughs> it's my cat and I. Um, Scout, who has since passed away from COVID, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, so it was an emotional roller coaster. I, I, I was struggling to figure out what, what to do now. What am I going to do? There, there was no, and then I said, okay, let's start programming the 2021 season because Carnegie Hall reached out to me. We forwarded our dates one year. Um, I, I pro, I put together this beautiful 2021 season that I was so looking forward to. You know, and I remember there was a period of time when we all were looking forward. Yeah. That's what we had hope was building. And then we were crushed again um, with, with a, a variant. And uh, so that was a kick in the stomach. And then two months later, I attended this uh, Zoom, uh, this Interlochen alumni Zoom that I was invited to. I said, oh, okay, I'll get on this Zoom. I was Zooming with everyone. It was all about Zooms, playing games and catching up with people across the world. Um, and at this Zoom were a couple friends that I attended Interlock with and Dr. Jerry Blackstone. And for those of you who don't know uh, Jerry Blackstone, he's uh, 
Professor Emeritus from the University of Michigan. He's been there, I think he was there for like oof, 20 to 30 years. Um, high and revered conductor. Yeah. Uh, he started with the University of Michigan Men's Glee Club and then became director of choral activities. And um, He's pretty much a monster in the choral yes. music world. Yeah. And they announced that they were, this docu-series was in the works. And I knew in that moment, my path was, was uh, about to shift. And so I reached out to them and said, I would love to be involved. And um, there was an advisory panel that was put together and they received and reviewed and considered my, my proposal and it was accepted and, uh, and I'm so happy and, and just blessed and thrilled and all good things uh, that this came into my life. And I feel this enormous responsibility to do it justice. We all do, our entire team. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're doing it right. And we're getting the right people involved. We're involving a lot of people, uh, which is a challenge in and of itself. But um, but it's fascinating and it's great. And and now, it's the series, I was yeah, just going to ask you when is it going to be released and where and how and how do we follow it? So the the where and how is TBD. Um, we uh, the, the plan right now is a four segment or four episode uh, choral singing in the power of choral singing number one, which will explore. Uh, holistic and health benefits and, and you know, um, just the, 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 the beauty that what, of what choral singing is. Uh, the second episode, well, no particular order, choral singing in the community, which will explore children's and community choruses. And, uh, choral singing in the academy, so school choirs. Um, and uh, choral singing in worship. Right. So each one of those episodes will will dive into some history and will uh, will feature some you know some of the giants whose shoulders we stand on and uh, and tell some just beautiful stories. Uh, yeah. Feature some fantastic people that were um, that were and are uh, influential. Scheduled to be released uh, 2024 spring, mm. and we are. We're taking our time with distribution. Um, we, we're all but guaranteed for it to be distributed on PBS. I was going to ask you, like, that's got to be on PBS. It'd be a natural fit, but we're aiming higher. Oh. So we'll see. Interesting. We're, we're still needing uh, financial support. So we're about to kick off another campaign called Giving in Honor. And the concept would be that uh, anyone would be able to give and tell a story and uh, to uh, either commemorate or memorialize or what have you, uh, a mentor that played a role in their life of choral singing. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a great idea, too, because so as we talked about earlier, so many of these things are coming full circle. Um, so many people in choral music had to have a mentor along the way to bring them in, whether it wasn't in, you know, to to go along with your episodic concepts, whether it was in church choir or school or, you know, community choir, however they came to this, the world of choral music, there was almost always somebody that had to be, not usually mom or dad or maybe, you know, grandma, I don't know, but someone had to bring them in. Right. So 
Heidi, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. Do you have a mentor right now? Do I have a mentor right now? At this season in my life, I would say less mentors and more collaborators. So it might not be a bad idea for me to reach out and find one because I am so frequently in the role of mentor. I've moved very clearly into that role probably in the last 12 years or so. And it just naturally comes when you do the kind of work that I do, working with mm -hmm. singers, working with students, whether at the college level or high school level or in my private studio. Um, but because aren't I'm you teaching and, and mentoring teachers themselves? I mentor a lot of teachers. Yeah. So I tend to be in the mentor role a lot. And um, one of the things I find wonderful now for me, I'm sure you know by now that I, I have over the pandemic, I started a quartet and it's four of us that are singing um, mostly polyphonic sacred music, whether it's older stuff or, or, and we are also commissioning works all the time too. So obviously you and I have the same, we have very similar um, interests in that sense. But one thing I found is working with other people, the collaboration with peers for me has become to a certain extent, very, very, very beneficial. And I mean, peers in terms of, you know, my colleagues are just as good as I am at singing and many of them are, like, many of them, there are literally three of them, but two of them are also teachers and um, voice teachers and excellent pedagogues. So it's great to bounce ideas and thoughts off of them. So as much as I would say, it would be good for me to reach out and find a mentor. I wouldn't say I have a mentor just now but I will say I do come from a series of incredible mentors, incredible people who I've worked with, who I'm just so utterly blessed to have found people, have people been in my path. You know, I've kind of bumped into people and they've been like, no, go this direction, go that direction. And the, the kismet of it all is I never really realized at the time how important these people, A, were in my life, but also like how important they were in music in general. You know, yeah. so it kind of scratches my head when I just sort of randomly landed at Westminster Choir College. Like it was a yeah. weird accident. Like I didn't think twice about it. I wasn't that impressed because I didn't know anything, you know. And so when you think about the opportunities I had as a young person, I had no idea the magnitude of it. So understanding that kind of gaining some level of perspective, I have had many incredible mentors in my life. And so I don't know, maybe at this shall I say, middle-aged era of my life? It might Our be second chapter? <laughs> second, I don't know. I might even be on my third at this point. No. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a hot spell. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's a very good idea. I mean, we, we all have to fill our cup some way. I mean, and we all serve as a mentor in some way, whether we realize it or not, whether it's in a moment in a grocery store or... You know, it, it's just to what extent, to what level, right? But, right. Um, but I, at some point, you have to fill your own cup back up. And um, for me, sometimes that's uh, attending rehearsal with the New York Choral Society or the University Glee Club. That's true. I, I will say so. On a secondary yeah. note, I do sing as an artist in residence with a group called the Arte Vocal Ensemble. I like the opportunity right. to just be in the soprano section. Yep. I don't always have to be the boss. And that's actually really special. So if I'm putting it in those terms, yeah, I would say 
Wyatt Morton is the director of that group, and I think he does a fabulous job. And so whenever, whenever I get to just sit on the end and, you know, keep my sweet mouth shut, which I try to do, <laughs> unless I'm singing. <laughs> and it, it's good. Director Morton is I, yeah. He's fabulous. He's a great conductor. Um, and it's wonderful to just be like, okay, I'm, I'm just here. I'm singing high notes. That's my job today. And every once in a while, if you ask me, you know, you jump out, I'm going to sing a solo. Okay, then I'll put my soloist hat on. But I'm not the boss of this show, this rodeo. Yeah. And I think that what you touched on, you know, singing with the New York choral artists has the same sense. Like you, it's good to have variation in your work, that you're not always the one in charge, that you can just step in. And it's also good to maintain some sense of humility. It's very easy when you're always in a leadership role or a mentoring role to think the world revolves around you. You know, it's nice to go, okay, I'm not, this is, this is not my circus and not my monkeys. I'm just showing up. And that's good too. It's also that opportunity that I, I hope everyone who sings an ensemble out there has experienced or had their, you know, has realized at some point that stepping into rehearsal is an opportunity to leave everything outside 100%. to step out of step out of your world just for a moment or hit pause on time and and be there in the moment which i'll tell you what more and more with our, our devices and everything is near impossible to do and to put them away during rehearsal. It's actually kind of interesting to me. Every once in a while, they see the person who has their cell phone literally sitting on their lap in a rehearsal. I'm like, just be here. This is an opportunity to be here, to be with the other people in this room, to connect with these people, and to create something beautiful in this moment. Right. And I definitely feel that. I certainly feel that way whenever I have the opportunity to sing with a group like Arte absolutely with my group Sarah for this is it's just a transcendent experience and part of the reason we we started it is because we all said you know during COVID we need other people creating music which I did plenty of in my you know singing from my studio you know like making little videos singing songs and I was like this just isn't enough to do this on my own and, and can we see those videos on TikTok <laughs> no, although I have had a student tell me, yeah, you should, you should just start a TikTok channel because your content is quote unquote perfect. I don't know what that means, but um, I will not be on TikTok anytime soon. <laughs> I feel like I'm probably 20 years too old for that, but who knows? I am on TikTok. Or, um, shut up. Because I'm holding on to my youth. Are you uh, dancing? No, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I decided that my TikTok channel will be life in and around New York City. Oh, okay. So I just have fun with New York-y type stuff. Um, I only have like four or five videos. So it's so like you're that. like showing people how to eat a hot dog? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I don't think I'm in any of my videos, but um, just oh, so so you're not you're not gracing that gorgeously shiny head on TikTok. You can't find that crooked on TikTok. Teeth? No, Disturbing, no one wants to see no. this. Such a waste. <laughs> but I'm sure it's very, I'm sure, I'm sure my husband will scroll through it. He's the only person in my house and I do have two right? older teens. He's the only one on TikTok. <laughs> so, maybe he'll roll. find you. <laughs> yeah. But it's very, very funny. So just to kind of wrap up a little bit, I want to ask you where you see choral music going in terms of the trends. Mm. 
Well, I'm, I'm seeing trends in collaborating across uh, artistic disciplines. Wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of beautiful things happen. And, and the pandemic, it, it, you know, fast-tracked some of that. When you, when you see or when you watch some of the YouTube videos of the virtual performances, we moved from, uh, we've moved from an, uh, one end of the spectrum where we started with um, uh, Eric Whitaker's virtual choir mm -hmm. to now at, at the other end of the spectrum would be, um, you know, you think of MTV music videos, right? So now it's, it's artistic visual um, design that's accompanied by, or vice versa, uh, complements the, the choral music, um, or it's, it's uh, uh, interpretive dance, modern dance with uh, set to uh, choral music. Um, you have choral singing in uh, beautiful museums to that that were designed the music designed to uh, complement the the art. So it, it's just this mixture and, and um, uh, what's the word? You know, uh, synthesis. Thank you. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, I, I I love that. Together. I love the vision of it. Like to me, collaboration is the most beautiful part of doing anything artistic. You know, and then as I as I already said, it, COVID really showed us that that we are not isolated animals. We're meant to be social. We're meant to work well with other, or at least try to work well with others. And it's the beauty of creating things with other people is really impressive, and especially people in other disciplines. So they bring a yeah. new spin. You're 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 all looking at the same target, but you're coming at it from a different direction and having that having that collaboration and that synthesis, I think opens up your audience to more opportunities for them to be able to find a segue into what that target is, into what you're trying to say. Absolutely. That's a, I hope, I hope you're entirely correct and we keep going with that because there's nothing more inspiring than, you know, I'd love to go see, here I'm in Los Angeles, so I'd love to go see the LA Master Corral at the Broad. You know, I'd love to see, right. I'd love to see them break the conventions, although, I'm a huge fan of the architecture of the Disney concert hall, but I'd love to see them take it out of the concert hall or bring, and they do, they do. I would say um, very blessed to be in Los Angeles because one of the part of the zeitgeist in the cultural world here in LA is, is that, you know, can, what, what else can we imagine with this? So I feel like there's a very big freshness in terms of what the LA Phil is doing, what LA Opera does. They're not stodgy and just trying to hold on to the old things. Although, right. They are continuing to maintain the canon. It's always kind of fun to see them breaking breaking up the mold a little bit here and there and pushing around the edges of what what symphonic music is, what choral music is, where it can be done, who it's done for. It's really that I think is you know almost like liberating classical music to a certain extent and giving it a new spin and making it feel fresh and relevant without losing. That's the key. I think that's the tricky part without losing your foundation. Whoever's listening, I hope you wrote that down because you just <laughs> put it perfectly. That was beautiful. You're, I've been, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, and yeah. like I said, I, I have these conversations. It should be a fly on the wall with the conversations I have with my son because we talk about this stuff all mm. the time. Um, it's really a part of, I think, what the next generation is thinking about in terms of, or I hope, you know, in terms of how right. you create something new and fresh and bring people in and bring more people into the conversation and 
diversify, not from just the standpoint of what we're currently talking about in terms of diversity, but diversify the discipline, the intellectual, the you know, all of it. It's, there's there's so much room for growth in bringing people together through these mediums. So anyway, I love what you're doing, and I think it's fabulous. Um, the last question, of course, actually I have two more. Sorry, not the last. I've got two more. Um, so a lot of my audience are are adults, and many of them are choir directors. Many of them are in music, church music, but others are you know they've gone on. They they did they did high school choir. They did college choir. And you're you're moving into the next season of your life, but I'm always wondering, like, how do adults get actively involved in creating choral music and creating music and finding opportunities? Because there's tons of opportunities for young people, but you know, what happens when you're 25? Mm -hmm. I, I tell uh, many of my friends ask about, you know, oh gosh, I, I've never even sung. I, I don't know how to sing. I, and I tell them, you know what? You're wrong, actually. I don't know who told you that. Oh, I my mom told me I could, you know, Whomever told you you can't sing, uh, you're wrong. Anyone can learn to sing. Uh, it's a matter of finding uh, either the right teacher or the right chorus or just the right opportunity. But uh, one dear friend of mine, uh, Oliver Henderson, here in New York City, uh, started a, uh, his own private studio uh, for beginners. And uh, believe me, he doesn't need to start with beginners. This Oliver is... Uh, He's a seasoned pro. Uh, he's a he's a master instructor uh, of the voice, and uh, uh, his wife Abby is in the uh, the Metropolitan Opera Chorus, and they're just powerhouse. But so I think of you know how can someone just how how can this be accessible? How can we us being in the choral world help those who um, are in the second or third chapter? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to to get involved or to, to try it out because listen we need to be advocates we yeah. all do uh, so finding uh, finding a teacher or finding a choir that um, uh, doesn't have an audition it's to y'all come uh, and and just just try it it's not just about the singing it's about the connecting with others we're social animals. We we need connection. So, and doing something like singing in community is pivotal, pivotal. So so voice lessons, right? Is that what you're th saying? And maybe finding a community choir. Those are two great options. Um, sing in the shower. <laughs> sing course. in the karaoke. Um, if if you have a fear, uh, then just sing in the shower get a private instructor and, um, you know, and, and you'll find that it's easier uh, to sing, to, to hide in the, the soprano or the bass section. You know, you, you can be among others and just sing along and you know, tune your ear. Yeah, until you get the confidence to do it on your own. Right. Well, of course, you know, not that I'm advocating for it, but there's always social lubrication in the form of some cocktails at the Have a glass bar. of wine. Sure. Yeah, have a glass of wine and relax. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. I always say it's not brain surgery. You're not going to kill anybody. It's, That's <laughs> it's just singing. It's just singing. So yeah. I love that. I love that. Just finding a community choir, finding a voice teacher that you're going to feel will help you out or just, just start. Yeah, just start, just start somewhere. Sing anything. As, as, uh, uh, in Alzheimer's Stories, which was on our Saturday concert, um, 
some of the text was sing out, sing anything, just sing out. Just sing out. I love it. I love it. Well, Matt, thank you for coming. And before I let you go, I do have to ask you where people can find you at national concerts. Nationalconcerts.com. But let me uh, give the website for the docu-series because it's really important. Um, and you can sign up just to be kept informed of who we're interviewing and we'll slowly release clips. And that's choralsinging.org. Choralsinging.org. And that's C-H-O-R-A-L. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you can also, yeah, you can reach me at uh, matt at nationalconcerts.com. Matt at nationalconcerts.com, choralsinging.org. And so I'm, yeah, don't I'm forget on those. Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Is it National Concerts on Instagram or is it Matt? We are. We're on Instagram at National Concerts. And I'm, oh gosh, my personal account is Hey Worky. Yeah. <laughs> You'll want to follow that so you can see that beautiful shiny head. Yeah. We've been discussing all, all <laughs> podcast, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think this is going to be so beneficial for my listeners to hear about what national concerts is doing. Really inspiring to think about the direction of choral music in general and to know that, you know, you're out there doing some good stuff. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for asking me here. Of course. conversation and for providing that last piece of music which is a commission by national concerts of stacy v gibbs wait till i put on my crown just uplifting and amazing i also want to shout out the children's choir piece i had there in the middle it's an essay arrangement that comes from a triptych of emily dickinson's songs written by aiden voss which is coming out in june published by santa barbara press so if you're interested in either of those pieces 
do a quick Google search. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, again, the the Emily Dickinson songs for S.A. Trouble Choir will be out in June. And I'm pretty sure those uh, Stacey B. Gibbs, Wait Till I Put On My Crown, are already out there. So if you like that SATB, which it's amazing, why not get out there and program something like that for your choir? Speaking of programming, our question this week is perfect for that particular concept. We have a question from Tony Wada asking about how to program for her recital that she has coming up. How do you build a dynamic recital program? This advice, by the way, though I am going to speak specifically to classical recitals, it actually translates beautifully into pop genres and cabaret genres with a couple of tweaks here and there. The overall ideas are very relevant for other genres and a choral concert, for example. So when you're, when you're programming, a couple of things really, really matter. Number one, you want to highlight your gifts. What do you do well? And as you're doing that, you want to think about not programming things that are wildly difficult for the entire time. So you might want one or two pieces that are stretch pieces for you and maybe technically a little bit more challenging. But if you're doing, you know, 10 pieces, only one or two of those are going to be really technically challenging for you. You want the rest of it to be pretty much low hanging fruit, easy to do. So you're not overstressing, overtaxing the voice in the process of singing that concert. You want to sing a concert that you can sing well and impress your audience with the level of skill that you have. And don't forget, this is something a lot of singers forget all the time. They think just because it's easy for them that it's not impressive. The reality is your voice, your gifts, and your talents are specific to you. So what's easy for you is what you should be singing, and it's what will be impressive to your audience. And it's the thing that not everybody can do. So remember what's challenging for you is not necessarily the thing you want to show off. You want to show off the stuff that's easy. And that's number one. Sing what really shows you off. Number two, variety is the spice of life. Make sure you're incorporating variety. And what do I mean? Do not do an entire concert of emo ballads. Nobody's going to enjoy that. Your audience is going to be emotionally tapped out after the second song. So really create some, some peaks and valleys musically and emotionally. And how can you do that? Well, incorporate different time periods, incorporate different tempos. Always also remember you want to leave your audience on a high note. And I don't mean literally a high note. I mean a happy note. So you want people leaving your concert, if possible, on a happy and hopeful note. You want them to leave in a good mood. So think you want to start off with something kind of up-tempo and a little bit of fun to grab your audience. You want to, you want to bury those, those ballads in there so that the ballads and the slow stuff are not really leading the conversation, but you pepper them in so that way you, the audience is ready for them when they do come in and you want to use them sparingly. You also want to end with something happy, something fun, something lively, something hopeful for the most part. I mean, unless your concert, you're programming a concert that is meant to be reflective or spiritual in some way, shape or form at that point, maybe you do want to end more contemplative without any clapping. But if you're expecting clapping end with something fun, so vary the tempo, vary the emotion, vary if it's classical, vary the period. So don't do everything that's contemporary. 
don't do everything that's Baroque, everything Renaissance. It becomes very fatiguing for the audience to hear the same thing over and over again. And they're just going to hear the same thing. It's going to become one, one single monotone noise. So you want to create some variety. Now, the one danger in creating variety that singers do and programmers have is that it's so much variety that there's no cohesion. So you want to find the happy balance between having variety, but also having a unifying concept. One of the more frustrating aspects to programming is seeing people who will just throw a bunch of songs on a concert that has a lot of variety, but there's just no, there's no thread that makes any level of sense between your pieces and the overall concept of the, of the performance. So you want to make sure that there is a unifying theme as well. Another way to program a dynamic concert is to incorporate variety of instrumentation. Bring somebody else in to sing with you. Have an additional instrumentalist come in and play with the texture of how thick the instrumentalists are and the, the singer. So it might be that one of your pieces is just you, one acapella piece, only you, only your voice. And then you come in with you and a piano and a trumpet. And all of a sudden we have a complete change in, in texture that gives the audience something new to look forward to. And anytime you can add an additional voice or voices, inc incorporate some shift in that, it gives the audience something new to look forward to. So change the texture in terms of adding instruments, taking them away, thinking about making a performance feel dynamic so that there's always a lot of movement in terms of not just the tempo, not just the energy, not just the theme, but also you know, the instrumentation. So lots of ways to incorporate interests and variety while you're maintaining an overall theme. And don't forget, begin and end on a relatively happy up-tempo note. So I hope that answered your question about the importance of programming and dynamism while you're creating a program. So thank you all so much for joining us today on the Master Your Voice podcast. If you're interested in getting more information about Master Your Voice podcast or me, Heidi Voss, don't forget to look us up on Facebook. We'd love to have you in the community. It's Master Your Voice, all one word. And of course, you can always find me, Heidi Voss, V as in Victor, A-S-S, on social media. And you can check out my website at www.vossvoice.com. Until next time, just keep singing. Mm -hmm.